Hi, this is Amanda Burse, also known as Marcy Rhodes Darcy. This is David Faustino. Uh, I think you know me better, obviously, as Bud Bundy, uh, a.k.a. Grandmaster B. And you're listening to the well, Mary with Children Podcast. Podcast. Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a open? No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children Podcast. Welcome back to the Married with Children Podcast. This is our big season eight wrap up show. My name is Annabelle, a.k.a. Maridaniac, and when I'm podcasting, I shake my leg, which makes my boobies go back and forth. <laughs> and I'm Steven, and I'm sure there's a lesson to be learned in all this, but da- I'll be damned if I know what it is. My name is Matt, and no lockdown or anything like that will ever stop me from talking here in the nudie bar about our Bundys. Never! And this is Luigi. I- I'm not a skier. But I just went skiing yesterday because a girl wanted me to. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Married with Children podcast, and this is our season eight wrap-up show. And we're going to discuss all of the episodes and all of our favorite moments, all of our favorite character moments, maybe the sex points, our hottest chicks, and our personal favorite episodes, and maybe our, our least favorite episodes too. So we're just going to start with our general impressions of Season 8. And personally, I think Season 8 has been fairly consistent, at least in regards to the episodes that I was on, because I don't think any episode rated, for me personally, rated lower than a 3. I think that's pretty good. That's sort of above average. So I don't know if you guys agree, if you disagree. What do you think? I think it was consistent. However, I I noticed something here, and I can see it in episodes 1, 3, 6, 9, 11, 19, and 22. And that is there's a great buildup for a joke, but at the end that joke just doesn't deliver. I think we've had conversations like in A Tisket, A Tasket, and, you know, I mentioned these other episodes here, and you got this buildup, and you're waiting for a big payoff at the end, and that just doesn't come through. I think that probably the best one that did that was Scared Single. They did have a good payoff joke, even though you could see it coming a mile away. Mm. And that's why I, I always thought this one was the weakest season of all the Marywood children. You know, some people say it was 10. I'm more on 8. And I think it's mostly because of this tendency of the writers not to find that big payoff joke at the end. Of course, that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. I think it's a fair point, fair point too, Stephen. Uh, well, my thoughts on season eight. Uh, so, generally speaking, um, uh, for uh, as a lot of people in the podcast know, I rewatched really all the Married Children last year to get me through um, the pandemic. So, season eight um, is one is one is one of my favourite seasons outside of um, three through six. So, definitely re- re- return to form after seven. We obviously introduced the No Man. They refreshing up the stories a little bit. Uh, some of my favourite episodes are in this season. As for the podcast, 
podcast itself, uh, the ones I'm on, uh, look, just looking through my scores, I tended to quite like. Uh, didn't give any less than a four in this season, just looking o- over everything. So, uh, for me, it, everything was still really on on fire here for the show. Um, pretty, pretty, pretty solid season. Uh, no real signs of what's to, what's to come in terms of decline at this point. It just that's just me. They still have got fresh ideas. They're still trying. Just still um, keeping the show going. There's still plenty of life left in it. That's just my take on the season eight. You know, and I don't want to say that the quality of the shows are necessarily bad. I just thought it was at the end when they just did the end of the episode just usually did not pay off as well as they did in previous seasons. You know, one of my favorites from season one is, but I didn't shoot the deputy. And I like to go back to that one because I just find it incredibly hilarious, especially at the end when Al starts crying, finding out that Peg buried his bowling ball. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that's a great payoff joke. (laughs) That's one of the best. I call that one of the best payoff jokes ever. And like I said, I do have that one exception of a scared single for season eight. And like I said, I don't think the necessarily the quality of the show has gone down. I just think that the payoff at the end usually didn't pay off. I do think that improves in season nine. I mean, in season nine is uh, one of those episodes is a season where, uh, I mean, the show really shifted. I think that's what we'll see when we get there. Yeah. Uh, starting next week, because that's when no man really comes into prominence. You have the characters, all the minor characters that most people are familiar with, with married with children, though they show up and that's like, Gary and Miranda uh, and Amber and Griff. Yeah, and I, I mean, my, yeah, and Ike. He's probably actually one of my least favorite characters. He just seems like so awkward. I mean, it's like uh, <laughs> uh, he always has like an awkward line. He's supposed to play someone awkward, but it's like I, I feel like he's like the one character who um, maybe wasn't written as well as he should have been. Uh, again, nothing. Yeah, nothing against you know the nothing against the actor himself. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Tom McLester. Yeah, that's all, right. <laughs> but uh, it's like, for example, E. E. Bell's written much better as Bob Rooney. Oh yeah, yeah I love that character. Yeah, Griff's amazing. And like I said, Griff, I thought, yeah, because when he comes in, he fulfilled that uh, role that I think they wanted Aaron to do in this season and Aaron really wasn't uh, the comedic force he was the straight man to all of Al Bundy at the shoe store yeah but then again we're not at the shoe store and so we don't have a lot with um, Al working there so you know like if if season eight was an episode this would have been like a uh, I, the way I classify season eight is a foundational episode because if you think about it, No Ma'am is introduced in this season, and you know, like in other words, it's like you have the the foundation set up in in, in season eight, and then you start getting the payoff in season nine. So uh, there's that term in in episodes, right, where it's like it's like you don't have as much of a payoff a joke wise, but it's like what do they call it, like a foundational episode or something like that to set up a storyline. Yeah. But that, that's the way I, I classify uh, season eight. But, you know, I mean, but if I just look at it from the perspective of, I mean, I think for me, like season eight, 
uh, you know, this was the season where, you know, we took over the podcast and uh, we had, I'd say it's been a learning experience, at least for myself. Oh yeah, I would agree. I'll tell you, like being behind the scenes and seeing this, you know, these things getting done, like uh, taking a recording and, you know, actually taking, making it beautiful, sound beautiful with all of the uh, (laughs) background music and show clips and all that. I mean, you really get to appreciate how much work you put into this. So uh, I, um, that was something for me, like very eye-opening. And what I found eye-opening too is that at season eight, I'm getting more to where I, disagree with alex on some episodes like on dances with wheezy which is one of my favorites from this season alex didn't like it that much and i think it was partly because well he wasn't a jefferson's fan like i was yeah and tyler was yeah and i think because he what he didn't watch it so but i think i'm also becoming a little bit more uh, maybe i'm a little bit more critical at this point because this is a season where Many of these episodes, I don't remember watching in the original run. I watched them, you know, on repeats on TBS about 12, 15 years ago, I think, when they were showing them. And that's why I didn't know about a lot of these original endings that Annabelle has. Hmm. And I'm, I'm glad to be introduced to those. Yeah. I really have to thank Annabelle for that because I remember watching all of these first run and when... You know, she posts on her channel the uh, the original endings. It's like, yeah, I, I, it's like most of the times, like, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you, <laughs> you weren't know? hallucinating. Yeah, it's just that, and it just makes you wonder. It's like, well, like, why even on the DVD releases, why didn't they do that? Because like, it was it really not really like much. I mean, because at the end of the day, what is it, an extra thirty seconds of airtime at mm. most? But mm-hmm. you know, that's been great. And just doing these, and what I'll say from a production standpoint, you know, some of these episodes uh, maybe like weren't at my necessarily my favorite episodes, but I enjoyed the production of the podcast for them. Like uh, Stephen, the um, like dances with Wheezy. Uh, I think just the fact that you know you had put in the Jefferson's theme music in there, yeah, just put a smile on my face. It's like, of course. Well, my first instinct also was when. Kelly was telling, you know, it was another episode when Bud was tutoring Kelly and convinced her that George Jefferson, or pardon me, that Thomas Jefferson was the dry cleaner who wrote the song. <laughs> <laughs> and I had her sing it. You remember that part? Yeah. <laughs> I thought, I got to get that. That would be perfect. And I inserted it in <laughs> before the uh, actual Jefferson's theme song. <laughs> Yeah, I guess we could talk a little bit about that to our famous podcast episodes. In other yes. words, not the uh, not not necessarily the, the favorite episode, but actually our our individual podcasts. It's fun making them. Yeah, yeah, and the show um, we we touched on that the show was trying to do some maybe some fresher things this season. Um, I. I remember mentioning way back in the first episode this season, which was recorded a long time ago now, um, that it was heavily promoted. So they wanted to take, they wanted to, I think they wanted to make clear that there's no seven, there's no Cousin Oliver this season. There were at least three different kind of programs, uh, promos that they ran 
for, for the first episode. It's a basketball-themed episode, so they really highlighted that, of course. But I think they wanted to make clear that there's no obnoxious child this season. And I'm so glad it's not. Even though some people rag on season seven, I do I do love season seven a lot, despite that little walking booger. So do I. But, uh, yeah, it's that, and that's fair. And then, um, yeah, with season eight, it's very clear that he's not around. That's good. They've learned their lesson. And we sort of, I think, it seems to be more sporty episodes this season because you talked about dances with Wheezy. Um, I just mentioned yes. a tisket, a tasket, can Peggy make a basket? There's also Field of Screams. There's Al Goes Deep. And there's Kelly Knows Something. She goes on the quiz show. So I don't know if there's more sporting episodes in previous seasons uh, or not. It feels to me like there are a lot of sport uh, in this season. It's book-ended by sporting episodes. I don't know what that means. I just noticed it. Um, and also there's 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 a change behind the scenes too. Like Ron Levitt, he's gone. So Michael G. Moy is basically in charge. And for the first um, nine of the ten episodes of the season, we get a new director, Tony Singletary. He's directed episodes before, um, but... He, he's back at the start of season eight and we're talking about fresh ideas and, and new things. And if you think of episodes, um, proud to be your bud and take my wife, please. They sort of experimenting with new things like more advanced visual effects. They have, there's split screens in both of those episodes where you got bud and like David Fosino playing two characters in the same screen. And then with the village people episode, you've got, death and Al putting his hand into death, swinging a baseball bat at her head. That's for Halloween. So you sort of expect a little bit of fanciness, maybe a little bit of experimentation there. But it's just interesting that there was two episodes, about four episodes apart, where they were sort of experimenting with things like that. And incidentally, that uh, Take My Wife, Please episode received an Emmy nomination for costuming for a series, Marty Squires is the costumer for Married with Children. They didn't win any Emmys, of course, but nice that they got some sort of recognition. That's good. Uh, and, you know, and one thing uh, I'll say about what you just said, Annabelle, is, you know, between Michael Moy and Ron Levitt, from what I've heard on retrospectives, Ron Levitt was very whimsical. Like, in other words, he liked more fantasy type of uh, writing. I mean, and when you watch, like, uh, Unhappily Ever After... You know, he's got the the talking rabbit. You know, yes. <laughs> uh, like you know, and, and like, and he used that as a device, I guess, to like try to get into the uh, the head of the dad on that show, right? Like, in other words, it was like it was the dad's insanity. Yeah, uh, that was like driving that. So, uh, Michael Moy, from what I understood, he was more focused on the uh, more of the dialogue. Like, he liked like that nitty gritty biting dialogue. But uh, even with Ron Levitt gone. It's like, you know, they still went, they still experimented that way. Now, one thing that's interesting, I believe at the end of, uh, I believe it's in season nine, there is an episode that is written by Ron Levitt uh, that where he's credited. So what I'm curious is, like, did they just have old scripts, you know, that were like almost in the vault that they just uh, dug out? Like, in other words, as part of what we're seeing some ideas that Ron Levitt and Michael Moy had worked on in season eight, because there was a lot of whimsical stuff that we start seeing in season eight. And was it just in the vault and, you know, they just never got around to it. That's why he gets, he gets the writing credit. 
That's a good point, because a lot of shows would have um, ideas that they thought about years in the past, that it could be left over from season seven or even season six. They could have just been floating around and then not used to season eight. We'll, we'll never know. That does happen with series. I know that happened with the original Star Trek, because they had a few episodes that have been penned, some that never re- even got shot or aired, obviously, because of its cancellation. And I know it's happened, I think, oh, you know, an infamous one was, uh, I don't know if you guys remember that Too Close for Comfort show. Yeah. And I put the, about this on Facebook that uh, I didn't watch it religiously, but Ted Knight was in, he had these two daughters he was always worried about, and they had a friend named That's Monroe, right. Jim J. Bullock. And I recall seeing an episode when it first aired, and it was really shocking about Monroe being raped by two women. And that had been, that was shot like two years earlier. Or no, the, the, pardon me, the script was penned two years earlier, and they wanted to do it, but Ted Knight objected to it, and I think it was Nancy Dussault who played his wife, and she didn't want anything to do with it. And it was just really one of those awkward things that uh, I remember watching it thinking, well, that's kind of mm. weird. Trying to use that for comedy. Fire. Yeah, is it worth is too is too close for comfort worth checking out? On a side note, sorry, sorry, sorry to sidetrack. Is it worth watching? No. no. Okay, because I've seen an episode. <laughs> I've, I've seen an episode of the original British show, Keep It in the Family, which it was based on. So basically, imagine too close for comfort, but British. So and that was decent. So I'm just curious if the American adaptation is any it worth checking out. I think the only decent American-British adaptation was um, Three's Company, because I know it was an adaptation of Man About the House. I love that. Mm. Yeah, because Three's Company, at least the first three or four seasons, I thought was hilarious. And I can relate to that show in a bit of a way. <laughs> <laughs> but we're off... Uh, sorry to get us off track. But That's all good. It's just something bad. I've noted. You know, that does happen where they do pen a script and it doesn't show up or it isn't shot until a couple or years later or a season later. Or And they, they like to have scripts in backup, too. I do know that. That way, if they don't think something will work, they can just do this instead. And I know that there are rules. Stephen, maybe you might know about this. There are rules in terms of, like, you know, who gets the writing credit like, I mean, you know, we, we read off the credits yeah. on each episode and we say, for example, uh, Kim Weisskopf wrote Change for a Buck as an example. But, you know, he may have written like 60% of it and he gets the writing credit for it. But 40% could have been written by, you know, either Michael Moy or other, other, or other people on the staff. Like, you know, because, you know, they have obviously uh, story editors and or somebody like Stacey Lip, like just say, hey, you know. Here's the B plot. But in other words, whoever gets the writing credit is whoever gets the majority of the script. And then everybody else, you know, may be contributing to it. So it is a collaborative effort, I think. You know, and then the actors can ad lib. And so that becomes a rewrite. So, or they can have a suggestion. But uh, I think you're right on that. I think it's about if they write 60%, one writer gets the credit. Or, or pardon me, um, yeah, that's the first. That's to be the first person listed in writing it, and if there are other writers involved, they usually don't get the credit if it's less than say twenty or ten percent. But I don't know the exact numbers. Right. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe Annabelle, you have a you have a 
That's some no, I don't know exactly. So, <laughs> no. Of course, then again, it differs from nation to nation because mm. I'm sure Australia may have their own regulations on directors and you know and all that other and writers and things like that. Well, I always think of it as a like America versus. The UK, for example, where American shows are usually written by a team of writers when UK is often, like, I'm talking sitcoms mainly, they're usually written by one or two people. That's very true, yes. Because when you get a lot more writers in there, that's when it really goes to crap. If it's three or more, it's usually not that good. I've noticed both with TV and movies. Yeah, too many cooks for the broth. Yeah, it, it, exactly. it, it's like having like a, a, a number of like stand-up comedians up on the stage, right? Because everyone's always trying yeah. to one-up each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, that's when it, it gets uh, a little silly. But uh, just going back really uh, quick, uh, Stephen, to Too Close for Comfort. It was, I remember when you posted that, I was like, you know, I haven't thought of that show since the 80s when I watched it. Uh, you know, I, I watched a lot of TV during the 80s and uh, I'm like very familiar with television from that time period. But it's funny, like <laughs> I sort of watched Married with Children and like once it ended, like I really haven't watched much TV. Like, I, I mean, it's really sad for me to say, but I'm not like a big TV watcher nowadays um, of any type. Like whether like I, there's a couple of shows that have come around, like I was really interested in uh, uh, Mad Men, for example, a couple of series, but like you end up like watching them, like now you have the ability to just binge watch them and, you know, you can, you know, like the series can end and you could just watch it in a month, you know, like, like a few mm-hmm. episodes a night and all of a sudden you're done. But uh, I think like what really stuck with Married with Children with me is that, you know, I started watching it. I was, uh, you know, just shy of nine. Uh, so I, I was living in one neighborhood and, you know, ele- uh, 10 years later, I'm, uh, freshman in college and living someplace else yeah so it's like it really like stuck with like a re- good portion of my uh developmental life you know from like eight through uh uh 18 you know going on 19 so it was uh that's why this really like stuck out with me and i remember things from that time period but when you said to do for comfort i mean all of a sudden a flashback it's like wow i remember that show and then, like, I was really hazy on some things. But again, even if you look at the production dates on that, like, I wouldn't really have understood, like, a, a male rape at that time, right? Like, maybe, like, at that point, I'm thinking... Yeah, I don't think you can understand it yeah. any time. Yeah, oh, yeah, Ob- obviously. But it's like, maybe for me, it's like, what, they were kissing him, like, beyond his, uh, you know, against his will, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, and the thing is, yeah, men do get raped by other men. Yes. That does oh, yeah. happen. I don't want to get too much into it, but... Uh, because a long time ago, I used to work as a medic on an ambulance, and sometimes you have to respond to those type yeah. of calls. And I remember responding to a few like that. Yeah. Not many, but a few. And, you know, those are just, you know, weird. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's just, of course. And, and I'm, not, I'm not denying the victimhood of that. It's just that it's just really weird. And it's a lot more psychologically, or, or it's... You know, men aren't supposed. That's not supposed to happen. Right. Men. Well, I mean, I think in in that too close for comfort effort, uh, too close for comfort episode, it was about uh, a man getting raped by two women, right? So that yeah. that's the one that is a little more uh, interesting, I guess, from a male perspective. And I remember making a commentary on this: is that when sitcoms try to do these special episodes like that, it doesn't come off well because yeah. it's a sitcom. And comedies are trying to make you laugh. And so they throw in these jokes, and I'm wondering, 
Jeez, you're going to put in a joke about that. I made a reference to um, the Bicycle Man and uh, in that uh, Different Strokes. I don't know if you remember that one. Yes. Yeah, Gordon jumped. Yeah, which I don't. I would never touch a role like that if I was an actor. Yeah. But the thing is, you know, I never saw it. I had some friends tell me about it. I've seen little clips of it. And then there was another one by Mr. Belvedere where Wesley was uh, touched by... Um, or attempted to be seduced by a, a male camp counselor. And again, I'm just like, yeah, I know that stuff happens. It's just like, in a sitcom, really? That belongs more in a drama type yeah. of thing. Hmm. Yeah. I, and, you know, I remember the actors, I mean, just not to go off on a side tangent, uh, there was the episode where uh, Edith gets raped on All in the Family. Yes, Edith's oh, 50th, yes. Edith's 50th birthday. Right. Yes. And that was, uh, uh, what's his name? From Sanford, David Jukes. No, no. It, uh, the character's name was David Jukes. Right. The, one who, the guy wrapped Edith. Yeah, no, but there, if I remember, there was someone. Uh, maybe I'm remembering the episode incorrectly. There was, there was someone who played like a bad guy from Sanford. So I think it might have been a Demond Wilson, on on All in the Family. Ah. You're thinking of a different episode. You're thinking of the season two episode of All in the Family, which aired just before Sanford and Son began, and Damon Wilson was one of two burglars, Coke and Horace, who broke into the bunker house. So it's like, and then Gordon Jump, who plays like such, such a gentle character in WKRP in Cincinnati, you know, being again a child molester hmm. uh, on, uh, on on uh, different strokes, and uh, that last one that you mentioned, Stephen. Yeah, like, because I, I mean, like, again, like, think of, like, in, from my perspective, it's like I'm a kid and I'm used to, rem I'm used to seeing these actors in completely different roles, like in funny roles, kind-hearted roles, all of a sudden taking, taking the opposite approach. And I think, you know, the actors like that because it shows range for them. But I mean, what's shocking to, again, like thinking of like a kid, because that's, I'd say, the big difference. I mean, I have two kids. I have uh, a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. And I wouldn't want to show them any of these shows at this point because like, you know, what they're still watching is they just watch cartoons all the time, you know, the cartoons, animated mm -hmm. things like Disney films. And I sometimes think to myself, it's like, well, you know, why was I watching this stuff that is like really, again, something like all in the family, you know, as a, someone made right out of kindergarten. It's like, well, that was what was available. Mm. You know, I, yeah. I didn't have cartoons on 24-7. I mean, they, were, they were just weren't available. Or if I wanted to, just watch on a Saturday. But, uh, you know, if you came home from school at 3 p.m. in the 80s, you know, you're watching reruns of 70s sitcoms, right? Maybe they had like a cartoon hour. Mm -hmm. But after that, you're just watching these older sitcoms, things like Sanford and Son, Barney Miller, uh uh, you know, all in the family, uh, good times, and they're taking on some. They're make they're taking on some very serious social uh, commentary, and you know, you're absorbing that as a child. So, and and I think it was still somewhat relevant at that time period. Like most of those sitcoms had maybe just been ten years since they had last been filmed. At most, I'm, I'm talking yeah. about mid '80s. So, like a lot of those topics were relevant, but. You know, watching that with uh, my son, my older son, who's 10 right now, like if I were to put that on, um, you know, do I really want them to hear, you know, um, Archie, uh, you know, calling, uh, let's say, black people spades or um, talking about, you know, uh, gays using like the F word? You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. It's, 
it's just it's something that I probably wouldn't want them to know because without really a lot of supervision, and I'd almost have to like pause the TV every five minutes and say and explain. Well, you know, people don't speak that way, and you know, this is not something, you know. Uh, well, most people don't speak right, that way, right? But the thing is, is that you know, somebody might think it's funny. You know, like uh-huh. I'm just saying, like without the context, I think it would be lost on someone just, you know, starting to watch it today, especially of that type of age, you know, because they may not understand it unless somebody tells them. It's like we don't use those words or, you know, people don't think that way. Yeah, anymore. we're laughing at you know? them, not with them. <laughs> and kind of. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I think you could say Married with Children did try and tackle some social issues, but, you know, like violence on tv we're gonna have one next season about is it season nine that's i want my season nine yes Yes, season nine yeah because i thought so you know and i mean they're addressing violence on television and you know that's just one of a few things they make a lot of jabs at different politicians Mm -hmm. during the time and their misdeeds and uh, tom and i are going to review ship happens about how the, the media has just decayed into what's salacious and exciting as opposed to what's really newsworthy. It's interesting you mention I Want My Psycho Dad because apparently, and I need proof of this, but apparently that was a two-parter that was scheduled for season eight, but they held off and did it in season nine. Oh, Hmm. interesting. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, that episode really wouldn't have worked without the Though Ma'am group. Which, show, which no, shows it wouldn't up in have. season eight. So uh, if it if it had been scheduled for season eight, it would have been much later in the season. Because if you think about it, we only really had No Man was really only in the two episodes of season eight. Uh, you know, No Man and the Legend of Ironhead Haynes, and that was yeah. it. You think it might be more, but it's only those two in the season. And that was something that was very uh, almost interesting to me. It's like for <laughs> for myself, who's obviously you know been a fan for many years. It's like once you actually like. I see, and that's what the podcast really did for me. It's like it made me really sit and analyze things and think about it more. So when you start, you know, so then like you're rewinding the clock and saying it was filmed in these orders. It's like, you know, <laughs> something that you watched 25 years ago. It's like, <laughs> was it in season eight or nine? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really, it, it, you know, you wouldn't really think that way. But then like as you're reviewing them and you're saying, it's like, wow, it's like we've gotten to the end of the season. We've only had two references to No Man. It's like, well, you know, we really don't see them until season nine. It's like, wow, like I, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. And someone, uh, and when Alex, Dan, and Jamie were still doing the podcast, I can't remember if it was season six or seven, but there were uh, one of them mentioned there were no ep- scenes in the shoe store. Mm. None. Mm. And I, I never noticed that until they pointed it out. And I thought, that's interesting. And that was actually a comment that had been made, I, I believe, from uh, someone on YouTube who had made like a comment on one of the uh, episodes on YouTube. And then like, you know, and Alex like was like, wow, you're right. And, you know, we looked at it because I remember also being on the season seven wrap up show. You know, and then we get to this thing where I have trouble remembering did this happen in season eight, nine, ten or eleven, because that's the time when it starts to get all jumbled up. In my mind, at least, because I can tell you, you know, he thought he could, you know, season three, episode one, or uh, I watched one the other night, a three job, no income family. And I forgot that was season three. I was looking in season two on Hulu and I thought, oh, wait a minute, that's in season three. And there it was. 
In other words, I can tell you what season this one is in. But seasons 8, 9, and 10, and 11, they kind of get, they really get jumbled in my mind. Same here. I think that's why I like Married with Children so much, is because they never really did very special episodes. (laughs) Yes. They never did a very special episode. They sort of send up things, but and and but everything's a joke. There's no messages to learn and things like that. And that's one thing I would agree with you. That's why I love it. They're not trying to change the world like Nash did during the latter half of its uh, of its run. Mm, yeah. Mm. And you guys are making me want to watch all these '70s shows, '70s and '80s sitcoms again. Uh, some of them I haven't haven't seen much of at all. And if they should be rerun here, but I can just go and find them online. Which one are you most keen to keen to watch, Anna? I don't know. I really want to see WKRP in Cincinnati again because um, I didn't see a lot of that, and I remember my mother mentioning it, and I was trying to find it on DVD for her back when DVDs first came out, and they got rid of all the music from the the initial releases, oh. so I didn't, I never got it, and then. Well, Shout put out a, an edition. Yes. Yeah, so there's, I've got a huge list to buy, to watch. It's just a matter of where I can get it. And But, yeah, it's a huge list. I mean, I, I want a, 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 a cable channel here to rerun all these old shows. I want to see All in the Family again. You know, even the British shows as well. I mean, <laughs> To Death is Depart and Man About the House, they used to get re, rerun, but not anymore. And I noticed the other day that Gilligan's Island was playing again. And this is right after I mentioned <laughs> on one of the podcast recordings that it hasn't been shown here for for so long. And I noticed it. Yeah, that was a Christmas episode. Yes, it was the worst Noel. And um, I noticed, yeah, a couple of weeks afterwards that, oh, season one is on. So I should have started recording that again, but I think I can let that one go. Oh, I've got to tell you guys this. I've been binge watching Scrubs. Remember that show? Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, and uh, I was there was an episode I was watching just a couple of days ago in which uh, J.D. comes back home and Turk is watching TV and J.D. mentions, oh, you're watching Mary with Children. Has Kelly come on yet? And Turk says, not yet. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, that was, I, I, I want to watch some episodes of Gilligan's Island with my kids because, you know, I, was, uh, I had them in the car when we were listening to the Worst yep. Noel podcast. And uh-huh. they were like, because I, I made a comment that's like, oh, you know, even a 10-year-old could probably, you know, <laughs> has seen Gilligan's Island. My son's like, I've never seen Gilligan's Island. It's like, all right, well. <laughs> <laughs> Just sit well, right back. Unless you have right. ETV, it's not really around anymore. <laughs> yeah, and obviously Don Wells just recently passed away. Yeah. So we only have Tina Louise left. Oh, wow. And she has been yeah. in Married Children. <laughs> when I was going to seminary in Kentucky, uh, I forgot who it was who died. I think it may have been um, uh, Natalie Schaefer or maybe Jim Backus. And there were only at that point, you only had Russell Johnson and the two women alive, uh, Don Wells and Teen Louise. And my friend Max says, everyone knows in Revelation, there are seven uh, bowls of gold, seven lampstands, seven, um, you know, winds. He said, I think that when all this, all seven of the, cast of Gilligan's Island has died, then Jesus is coming. <laughs> 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 That's funny. Yeah. 
I mean, I guess I'm more lucky at this point in 2021 that, you know, we have everyone from Married with Children still alive and kicking and doing well. Um, you know, I mean, I know that there's always been talk of uh, a reunion show. I'll just say this. I, I mean, kicking the series off, and I said this before, like, if they wanted to go that route, I'm, I wouldn't be excited about that because, like, I feel like it might be funny for, like, the first few episodes but like i i feel like you know they've they explored so many different things that it would be kind of hard i mean even like you know if you look at 11 seasons uh you know it 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 goes in too much into the slapstick at the end that you know it really like turned me off uh, i could see like some of the things being updated in terms of like what would it be like for an al bundy to be living in the modern world you know <laughs> i think again about yeah. you said that it's like you know <laughs> he's having like a he still has dial-up internet service, <laughs> you know, today, yeah. right? Something like that. And he's trying to figure out how to get an online subscription to... Pornhub or something. Like something, yeah. like something like that. <laughs> yeah, right. Something like that. But uh, my feeling would be, I think that they could do something like the British way of doing it. Like the British would have like a, more of like a special. Yeah. You know, like I could see more of like like a... Maybe like yeah, maybe like, like a, with Gavin and Stacey. Yes, I thought I I love that show when it was out. Uh, I thought that was wonderful. I only just re- recently watched that all of it, just incidentally. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that, that that was a great show. But I like in other words, just like a like a special. I don't know if it's a one hour or even like a two hour special, and it's like, you know, I come up with a storyline, you know, just for the for the for the for us <laughs> the nostalgia effort you know for us and just do it and that's it like i but i can't see like a series no. picking up and then be and they and they being able to be relevant. i absolutely agree i think if they did maybe a one maybe like a two-part special or something and they could cover as much as they could in that and but i think a series would be a bad idea um it'd have to be something you know three episodes top yeah we were talking about gilligan's island and what they did were you know, a few TV movies. Yeah. Of course, one of them really stunk was, well, I went, what do you expect from Gilligan's Island when the Harlem Globetrotters played a bunch of robots? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, I, I just sat through half of it and even at 12 or 13, whatever old I was, I thought, this is stupid. I'm not watching it anymore. And when you're saying that about Gilligan's Island, you know they have really <laughs> left the building. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but anyway, I do think, uh, you know, TV specials and TV movies once in a while, that would probably work with Married with Children better. Maybe. Just an idea. Because hmm, there's still a lot of interest in the show. So should we go into our, our character episodes? Um, so Al. Best character episodes for Al. Someone want to kick us off? Well, I'll, uh, I guess I'll, I'll go if no one else wants to. Um, I, I mean, Al being the main character, it's kind of hard to find, um, like, epi- like, you know, to really pinpoint episodes because he's generally the star and like, he always has a lot of the storylines. Uh, but, but, but I, what I would say is, uh, a couple like hood and the boys is probably like one of my favorite ones. I mean, that speech at the end, you know, we talked about that, you know, when we kicked off the podcast. Uh, I mean, I think really, you know, that that speech, I mean, and it's a credit to Ed O'Neill and how he delivered that speech. That really made it for me. Um, 
I would say, you know, The Legend of Ironhead Haynes. I thought it was just like a little uh, fa- fan favorite for me. <laughs> uh, and uh, I will also say a little off the top. I think the scene of him in the nursery crying with the rest of the babies. <laughs> that's, that's, that sort of does it for me. Yeah, I was I was thinking that one immediately when you were talking about character-centric episodes. I do think you could really say that Scared Single, even though um, even though there was that B-plot going on, that that was an Al-centric episode. Because he finds it his mission to keep Aaron from marrying this girl named Angie, who would ruin his life, and he ends up still ruining his life. Because Angie was the perfect fit, and then Meg was the worst <laughs> fit. Oh, man. I still laugh at that one. <laughs> that was gold. Yes. <laughs> one that's come to mind for me for an owl-centric episode is Get Out of Dodge, you know, especially because it's about his beloved car and his determination to win. And, uh, you know, obviously being owl, you some well, most people would coming into the show, unless they were a new viewer, would know he would have to fail at some point. So, and just that climax, and how even after he loses, he's still determined to win, even though it takes even if it takes forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hood, Hood and the Boys and Get Out of jo- Dodge were the first two I thought of as well. Um, Hood and the Boys for that speech at the end, like you said, Luigi, and. Um, uh, scared single, I think, is a good one too because of that introduction with Aaron. Other than that, it's sort of all—I mean, a little, off, just a little off the top. That's, a, <laughs> that's one I like as well. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it, it without it's hard to really narrow and, and pick episodes. We're sort of relegated to picking moments in the season as opposed to entire episodes. One thing I noticed in this season, there was a shift to um, when they had something for Kelly and Bud, it was always with them together. Yes. Usually. Usually. They were working as a team. Like uh, No Chicken, No Check. That one comes to mind really quick. Yeah. And and then the B-plot in The Worst Noel. I just... Went, and that's one of my favorite Christmas episodes. In fact, it is my favorite Christmas episode of the latter years. You know, mm. 7 through 11. I mean, if if this was a traditional sitcom, the character of Kelly, there would be a lot more interplay between the character of Kelly and her boyfriends, right? Because usually, like, if you think about what was playing at the time, let's say it was whether it was Growing Pains or uh, I don't know, uh, even um, just the ten of us, or just the uh, what was it, uh, the one, the one, the, the spinoff of Growing Pains. Uh, there was just the ten of us. Yeah, it was. Or family ties. It's like usually like there would be some interplay with it's like, okay, well, you know, this character has a love interest, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and be like there'd be dialogue between them because they'd always the B plot would be something where you know they're exploring some aspect of uh, a relationship, right? Yeah. But married children never really did that. They were it was more like, okay, you know, here's uh, Kelly's dating a guy, like he's got thirty seconds of screen time, he gets his face smashed into a wall, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and thrown out of the hands. house. Yeah, he's got a weird name. And most of that interplay, and the same thing with Bud. It's like, you know, Bud is chasing after a girl and then just really it's like Kelly insulting him. So a lot of that interplay stays within the family. So that's, uh, uh, and we really don't see that. I think like as you get, when we get into season nine, though, you know, 
we'll, we'll, we'll start to see that where they actually, at least Bud has a relationship. Like Kelly never really develops a relationship that lasts more than a season, more than an episode. Yeah, that's Bud true. Does. Yeah, for yeah. half an episode. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, like even a show like Roseanne, they brought in love interests for Darlene and Becky, and they got a ton of screen time by the end. But yeah, I married a children. I mean, yeah, you covered it all basically. So should we move on to Peg? I can't think of any other than that first one, a Tisket a Task, or I think the third episode of a Tisket a Task. Can Kate, Peggy make a basket? Well, yeah, there's that one. There's also Honey, I Blew Up Myself when she gets the photo put in front of our shoe Yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. okay. But yeah. you're right. There are the two I think of. And and Take My Wife, Please, I think. I mean, even though technically it's Katie Seagal playing Death, I mean, that is... I, I classify that as a Peg episode. I thought that was wonderful. Because she's Peg in all but name, that character. So what's a good episode for the actor? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those two. The season opener, a tisket, a tasket. Can Peggy make a basket? Honey, I blew up myself. And then, like, right after Honey, I blew up myself, she was then really pregnant at that point, right? That's right, yes. Yes. The second half of season eight, she she puts on weight, basically. We we discussed it with, uh, well, I discussed it with Matt and Chris in um, Get Out of Dodge. I think that's the first episode where you can really tell. Um if you're looking out for it, I mean, um, but it's right at really towards the end of the season where she's noticeably hiding it. And uh, I remember when recording um, the uh, episode for uh, the Darcy Files. Yeah. That's one of the very few where Jefferson gets his own episode. Right. Yeah. And it's. We don't have many Jefferson centric ones. And I think there's a, uh, there's a better one coming. I can't remember if it's nine or 10 when, he gets a tattoo on his it's butt, 10. and then we get to yeah, learn. I love Mary. It's ten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love me. And uh, I, you know, there are maybe one or one or two more, but you know, he he rarely gets an episode. Yeah, and that's a pretty big one for him. And yeah, again, you sort of have to think what little scenes, what little moments does he have in other episodes and Marcy's the same really because she's got that one episode banking on Marcy when she's it's an extraordinary episode for her and then you sort of struggle to think what else in the rest of the season because what else is there other than a bad hairdo I mean (laughs) (laughs) compared to a chicken yeah (laughs) you know and and looking back you know she had a lot more centric episodes when well not a lot more but more when she had that time a lot of people forget through half of season four and half of season five she wasn't married Mm. she didn't have steve or jefferson and i think she got a little bit more there and or maybe just more airplay but uh you know she's i think she's the one who always gets the shortest end of everything because she Really, I think if you add up all the episodes where they have centric ones like for Bud, Kelly, Steve Jefferson, Alan Pegg, she's probably the least one. I I may be wrong. I don't know. No, you sort of have to stop and think. But she did go behind the camera, so maybe uh, maybe that's why she sort of removed herself. But in some cases, but that's true. But um, yeah, no, I'm struggling to think of. 
other big episodes. Mm, I'm struggling to think as well. Yeah. And you have to really go back to the first three to four seasons for that to happen. But if you look at, like, you know, Marcy, for example, but she was played a great supporting role, for example, Take My Wife, Please. I mean, she she had to, like, set really set that one up. Um, uh, I mean, and she had, like, some good lines, you know, here and there. Like, uh, with her on the couch with Peggy with Nooner or later. You know, I mean, yeah. like, I, I thought that was... Uh, th- that was good dialogue. I mean, it wasn't, like, you know... Uh, solid gold but it was i mean again she's still a supporting character but you're right i mean besides banking on marcy she really doesn't have a lot of um you know episodes just written for her you know and we also just to bring this in it's at this point where it feels like the writers feel the need to definitely have a b plot Mm -hmm. uh b plots were rarely introduced and you know we saw a few in six we saw a few a couple and seven but now every episode has to have a b plot and i you don't necessarily need a b plot and i really kind of noticed that i i something dawned on me because tyler and i had this conversation on an upcoming season nine episode i made the comment you don't always need a b plot and at this time seinfeld was one of the biggest uh, shows out there they always had a bleep pot, sometimes even a C-plot. And I think Mary Wichon was trying to do the Seinfeld thing, where these two stories intertwine for a, for a payoff at the end. Mm, that's interesting. This might... I especially, yeah, especially you saw that. I especially saw that really, I think, say season 10 and 11. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, they probably were trying to emulate shows like Seinfeld, and Friends. I mean, there's an overt reference to Friends in season 10, but it's just, yeah. Yeah, they're just sort of keeping up with the popular shows. I mean, I mean, the other thing I'll say is that, you know, really in season eight is the, begin, the season where pop culture really becomes part of the storylines. Yeah. You know, that, that is, I think, something very, very prominent in season eight that we don't see before this. You know, and then that's the issue of timeliness that I think why a lot of people kind of get these seasons confused is because, well, we can't think of what was going on with these particular things. Um, You know, in that upcoming season nine episode, I was mentioning with Tyler, there's a reference to the Avengers and people would think, oh, the Avengers superhero. No, the Avengers from the 1960s. It was a British TV show and it was very obscure. And I noticed a couple of other obscure references and that's the thing. That's why I think Mary with Children has a lot more timelessness in the first three to four seasons as opposed to now. Because you need to remember this stuff. If you don't remember this stuff, if you were part of growing up, you're wondering, you can remember that stuff. But if, man, everyone born after the 1990s, they're not going to know a lot of those references. No, sad but true, in my opinion. And I think that's what makes a good comedy is that it'll make you laugh now and it'll make you laugh 20 years from now. Yes. I think that's that's true. Cause I, I heard something about Home Improvement the other day. It's another show I love. Oh, I can't remember who said it. One of my favorites. Yeah, I can't remember who said it, but they said they didn't reference uh, topical things too much and no sort of real world things that were going on at the time. That's why the show hasn't 
dated so much. I mean, except for, you know, the 90s-ness and appearance and whatever. But the show itself is still very funny as opposed to – it might have been Patricia Richardson talking about this, Jill Taylor. She was saying uh, Home Improvement didn't reference topical things as opposed to Last Man Standing, which is Tim Allen's current show, which is just constantly talking about real-world politics and everything else that's going on. So that show is going to date horribly. Yeah, and I, I think Farm Improvement did a lot of family stuff too. I did. In fact, I I, I watched an episode, and we can all relate to family stuff. But uh, last night, I actually was watching. I caught an episode called the Vasectomy One. Oh, I love that episode. When Tim, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's hilarious. Yes. <laughs> it always cracks me up. And I remember my wife and I, when we were uh, when we were married, that was one of our staples. We always watch Home Improvement. And that episode actually changed my mind on the issue because I was with Tim initially. I thought, no, I would not get a vasectomy, no. And by the end, I could finally understand, okay, I think I would. And my wife and I had a discussion about it. And I think that's what makes it more timeless is because those are real issues and the real issues of the boys growing up mm. and Jill trying to tame their testosterone. And you see that in Mary with Children because – in the first three or four seasons because they were dealing with, you know, family stuff that was going on all the time. Yeah. Like uh, one of the, one I think an underrated episode, I think it's in season, yeah, it's season one when uh, I forgot what it's called all of a sudden. Johnny Be Gone. Yeah, Johnny Be Gone, yes. Yeah, Al is trying to help his son. He forgot he promised his bud he'd help him fix this car for some reason or another. He's trying to help Kelly. Also, Peg is trying to help Kelly get invited to this party or something like that. That's stuff we can identify with. Mm. Everybody. Yeah. And, and, you know, and to your point, Stephen, if you look at, uh, you know, shows like I Love Lucy or The Honeymooners, yeah. I mean, people still howl with laughter. You know, we're talking 70 years later because, you know, they're just scary talking thought. about real. Yeah, because you're talking about real world scenarios. I mean, like mm -hmm. you don't have like, you know, I mean, maybe it's somewhat dated when they say, like, uh, on, uh, let's say on the Honeymooners, like they they, uh, uh, they want to buy a television set, right? Like the first one of the classic 39s, right? But, <laughs> uh -huh. I mean, you can relate to, like, well, turn that television set into something else, you know, from, yeah. like, from today's, yeah. like, in today's world. It's like, well, what does the people want? Well, you know, I want to buy this, uh, like, 3D television. Remember, like, Ralph actually says in that episode, he's waiting for 3D television. So you had to wait almost like 60 years for that to uh, occur. But it, it's it's that economic anxiety. It's the economic angst. And Amanda Burst even talked about that, you know, when she was on the podcast. Hmm. It's like, and, when you focus on, and when you focus on those things, that's what makes those storylines timeless. And, you know, that to me is the thing about season eight. It's like all of a sudden, well, here is all these pop culture references. Now, I mean, for myself and Annabelle, because, you know, we had done all the research <laughs> before we started recording season eight uh, for Alex and crew. You know, like, I mean, as I was going through the script and reading certain lines, like, you know, yeah, like you mentioned, like the Avengers. I'm like, hmm. It's like, well, what is this? You know, because I know, the, I remember the line, but I mean, I don't necessarily get the joke. So then, like, you know, I started digging in. It's like, and you're looking, oh, okay, this is what they're talking about, and this is what the reference is. And it may, sometimes it makes it funnier. Sometimes it's just, you know, like a throwaway. Uh, I remember there's the episode when you and Tyler were like, they were talking about uh, Buffy and uh, something or other, and they were talking about uh, this uh, obscure <laughs> sitcom from the 60s. I forgot the name of it now. 
My Mother the Car. Uh, no, it wasn't that one, but it was something else. But it was just interesting to see. It's like, okay, yeah, again, they're make they're paying homage. I always say this, they're paying homage to the past, you know, to their to their predecessors. But um again, some of the stuff really gets lost. And if like I don't know and and again, now me thinking of myself in the nineties watching this and not knowing what the reference was from the sixties, imagine someone today watching this in twenty twenty one and going back to the nineties or even earlier, it's like, what is this? Well, yeah, it's kind of like your kid's not aware of what Gilligan's Island was. Right. You know, what is it? And and, it, and I think that was a, a much better joke when they were using it when Bud confused Kelly to think that uh, Robinson Crusoe had a friend named Gilligan. He was there also with the skipper and Marianne. <laughs> and then Kelly comes. And the half the funny, funny part of that is Kelly is buying this and she's probably just, and she should be just as familiar with uh, Gilligan's Island as Bud is at that time. Yeah. Because it was so ingrained into our national psyche as opposed to the Avengers or uh, the, the British spy television show as opposed to. So it's kind of like, well, I'm confused now. What are they referring to? What, who is this Senator Bob Packwood that they reference mm. a few times? What did he do? So we mentioned that there's no, um, except for big episodes for each uh, of Marcy and Jefferson's, they sort of don't really have any other episodes other than banking on Marcy and the Darcy's files, respectively. And I think there could have been another episode in which they could have shined or shone. Um if perhaps Steve had made an appearance this season. And maybe that's hmm. why you don't like season eight so much, Steve, because there's no Steve Rhodes appearance. <laughs> that's right. You know, that's it. That's it. You hit the nail on the head. He's in season six, <laughs> he's in season seven, and he's in season nine twice. But season eight, for some reason, he doesn't show up. Yeah, and it's a crime. David Garrison, you're the reason why I hate season eight the most. <laughs> Jerry would agree with me. Oh, yeah. Yes, he would. And I think I, I agree to an extent, too. I think that's what this season is missing, uh, a Steve appearance. So, yeah, there's a lack of Marcy Lusser Jefferson. And unfortunately, next season, his second appearance was, uh, oh. was, was, was uh, a travesty, what they, what they did to his character. That's that, that's like calling the uh, Titanic a minor incident at sea. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I, I hope I hope we get Jerry Herring on for both of those. Uh, I think that'd be a real treat to get his take on it. I've I've been staying I've been staying in touch with him, and he said he's on board to do that. Cool. All right, so we've uh, covered uh, we've covered Peg, Marcy, and Jefferson. So let's go with uh, Kelly. Oh, I got one for Kelly right up. Um, I'll, I'll a bit of a, as some of you know, I'm a bit of a quiz hound, pub quiz hound. So naturally for me, it's Kelly knows something, especially the way she has to cram everything in her brain and how she's doing so well, even though she basically forgets everything else in life, as as Kelly would. And then of course, in true Bundy Bundy fashion, screws it up. So Kelly, I would not have you on my quiz team because you would cost me first prize. Yeah, like a good quiz would, show. Yeah, that one too. pops out for me. And to me, the best joke was 
seven going out of her mind. <laughs> I think mean, it was for all of us, really. That is yes, arguably the seven. greatest yeah. moment of the season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably, yeah, one of the best Mary with Children jokes. Yes. That one, and then when they pull out the milk carton. Yes, in Ride Scare. Yeah, again, other than Kelly knows something and Sofa so good, I have to go back and check which episodes feature Kelly heavily. Because like you say, she's often in a B-plot with Bud, so something like the Darcy Files. Um, <laughs> I mean... There's like No Chicken, No Check, for example. Yeah, that's another one, yeah. You know... um, I did think of one episode, um, one episode where everyone is involved in a great way, and that is one that Todd and I reviewed. How green was my apple? Yes. Yeah. yeah. No B plot, just a bunch of uh, different characters, uh, several guest spots. Yeah. And everyone was involved. Actually, that's a good one everyone. for Jefferson too, and Marcy, and Marcy yeah. as well. Yep. So yeah. the Darcy mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the other one I'll say for Kelly is um, sort of like her trying, her trying to get the attention of Vladi in uh, the season opener. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's got her own little B-plot. Oh. Yeah. But again, a, 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 B, a B-plot, but I thought that was uh, very funny. Another good Kelly-related B-plot for me is Field of Screams, namely with the whole um, the, 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 the rare bug and the, the, the verm, the, another Verminator episode, how she um, flattens the um, key on the railroad track so Al's stuck on the goalpost. Yeah, we get a good um, yeah. Verminator um, episode there and in Scared Single as well with the commercial at the start. I kind of wish they would have continued the Grandmaster B you know, along with the Verminator, that would have been comic gold, I think, for the writers. Yeah, I do wonder why they dropped that. I'm not sure why exactly. I guess they wanted Bud to sort of move on a bit. But speaking of Grandmaster B, that does feature in Proud to Be Your Bud, which is probably, for me personally anyway, the best Bud episode this season. Along with... Probably. Um, for me, I also like Valentine's Day Massacre. That's a good one for him, too. Yeah. I think I like that one better. Yeah. Uh, the one thing about what, you know, when I, I reviewed Proud to Be Your Bud with Chris, the the ending of that episode, again, from a continuity perspective, didn't make any sense because, like, it, yeah. it was one of those episodes where it's like, well, supposedly Bud is quote-unquote cool now. Hmm. But the you know, then in the subsequent episode, he's back to being the same character he always was. So it's like, you know, I mean, I think if Wasted. you were going to end that episode, right? If you were going to end that episode and just say he's a loser again, that's how that's how the episode should have ended, right? Mm-hmm. But it should it shouldn't have ended. It's like everything's cool, and it's like you know, he just like sort of like walks away, and like you're left. You're left feeling confused because it's like, all right, well, next week, like, what's going to happen? He's going to walk in with like two hot chicks and, you know, take <laughs> them upstairs. Like, that's not really what happens. No, so that was my that was my only complaint about uh, proud to be your bud. Yeah, I think that's why the Valentine's Day episode is uh, a better one, um, for him. But uh, those those are the two that stand out certainly for me. Also in. The worst Noel. I mean, it's a B plot, but he gets tortured a lot, and there's a lot of slapstick with Bud going on there. It's just he just yeah. gets put through the ringer in that one. And a lot of use, and it started, and that started. I think a lot more of the heavy use of a dummy. 
Yes. Okay, so is that it for character episodes? Yep. Okay, so now let's go on to sex points. And Luigi, I'm going to hand okay. this over to you. <laughs> okay. So we we did not really, I guess in our episodes, talk a lot about sex points. But I did go back and try to tally up uh, where there were sex points uh, that occurred. Now, in Hood and the Boys, Peg gets three. Uh, if you remember, uh, uh, even Alex, uh, in his review, uh, he, he put a, a J-Lo song uh, called Come Over and because <laughs> J-Lo seems to want it three times, uh, uh, <laughs> three times a day, right? So, uh, so Peg gets three sex points there. Uh, she gets a sex point in a little off the top. Valentine's Day Massacre. Nooner or Nothing. And Al sort of gets a sex point in the last episode. Kelly knows something at the end because, like, he, he actually does promise it to Peg, but then he takes it away, as, as we all recall. So based on that, uh, Peg wins sex points for season eight. And the one observation I want to make is it seems that she's the one who constantly wins every season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's one of the reasons why, like, you know, I don't feel so bad about not keeping, you know, as religious track of, of uh, sex points as uh, had been done in the past in the first few seasons. Did Buck get a sex point for that one woman having her way with him? <laughs> <laughs> Rita. Yeah, Rita. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go into hot chicks. Well, in well, there's the All Star Girls in Otiska Otaska and Peggy Make a Basket. In Hood and the Boys, we've got Ray Ray's girlfriend. Proud to be your bud, we have Libby. She's not named, but that's how she's credited. Uh, no chicken, no check. There's Sonia. Scared single, there's a few of them. We've got Angie, we've got Heidi, there's another beautiful girl who comes into the store, and there's Meg at the end of the episode. And in No Man, we've got Bubbles Double D and Dances with Weed. Meg is a hot chick. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> in No Man, there's Bubbles Double D. In Dances with Wheezy, there's The Waitress. In Sofa So Good, there's Naomi, who's Bud's date. In high, How Green Was My Apple, there's Girl. Valentine's Day Massacre, there's Crystal Brooks and another unnamed woman. Get Out of Dodge, there's Lisa Pruner. Field of Screams has Sasha, played by Julie Benz. Nuna or Nothing has Fergie. And Ride Scare has Naomi. Have I missed any there? There was a hot chick in Ride Scare? Yeah, she's yes. the, um, the the Victoria's Secret model who comes in to introduce Al to uh, uh, to the whole uh, rideshare uh, program. Yeah, yeah, she was hot. I just looked her up. Yeah, she is. She is pretty hot. Yes. Okay. Yeah, she was hot. I forgot about her. She's probably one of my favorites. Yeah, I was up and like I said. Yeah, Meg is listed, so I can't buy that one. But uh, <laughs> I think my favorite is the. Um, uh, let's see here. It was in Scared Single, I guess, Angie, Rose Jackson. She was my favorite. Mm-hmm. For two good reasons. 
So, so what? Where were they? <laughs> <laughs> Don't say the left one and the right one. <laughs> the right one and the left one. <laughs> so from my top, I'll, what I'll say is my top three for season eight. Uh, I'm gonna actually go. Uh, they're actually the last three in order. So number three would be Julie Benz, as Sasha. Uh, number two is Fergie, uh, who plays Anne in Nooner or Nothing. And number one is Naomi in Ride Scare, played by Sandra Taylor. I mean, I just think, like, so, like you know, when she comes in in the Ride Scare episode, I mean, like, she's just, like, drop-dead gorgeous. And I'm inclined to agree. Um, she is beautiful. And a friend of mine who's not part of the podcast group, but she is a Married with Children fan, she said she met Sandra Taylor, or Sandra Korn as she was then, um, many years later, just, I can't remember the circumstances, but she met her and said she was still as beautiful as she was then. So I guess she ages well too. And apparently she's super nice as well, so that's good. And so, yeah. (laughs) So Naomi would be on my list. And I'd say Fergie's probably an honourable mention, but I do want to mention Sasha, played by Julie Benz, who people know from Dexter. Um, she's just very cute. And I would go with um, Angie from Scared Single, played by Rose Jackson, because, you know, not to get all feminazi, but, you know, a smart, successful woman who works, who cooks. She's got to be perfect. Basically an anti-pig. <laughs> <laughs> Even Alp. Yeah, even Al proposed to her. He, he did, yes. <laughs> well, Michael Moy proposed to her, and she said yes. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. You know, and to back up, I will say, one thing I did like, you know, the thing I really liked about uh, Angie was that she was able to play dumb so well. I mean, not quite a Kel- at Kelly Bundy or Christina Applegate uh, measure, but, you know, I just loved her dumb questions about that. The application. Oh, oh, you mean Melissa Bear? Oh, Melissa Bear. Was that her who filled out yes. the application? Yeah, that was. Um, she's she's okay. my honorable. She's my honorable mention. Heidi. <laughs> <laughs> she was very funny. Yeah, Heidi. Uh, I, my, one of my favorite lines was Mr. Bundy, where it says sex. Do I have to list their names too? <laughs> 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 and. Uh, I guess I would say mothers were the waitress in Dances with Wheezy. No particular reason. I just thought she was really hot. And and I would agree. Naomi in, what was that? No Chicken, No Check. I forgot. Yeah. Now, I thought Naomi was Ride Scare. She is. No Chicken, No Check is Sonia. Is Sonia. Sonia. Okay. I get them all confused. Ah. <laughs> uh, well, there's there's... There's two Naomi's this season. Yeah, so far so good. And Ride Scare. There's yeah, two Naomi. Just played by different actresses. Another Mary with Children inconsistently. <laughs> who can, inconsistently. Inconsistency. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what I'll say is when I put the list together, I was actually quite surprised that, you know, the list has 22 people on it. Uh, season seven had a lot more people, and you know my instinct is that seasons nine, ten, eleven will have a ton more yeah. uh, women on the list. But I was actually mm-hmm. surprised at how small the list was. 
Yeah, I was too. I had to stop and think each individual episode. Who is there? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some some of these some of these characters will get the hot chick list. Uh, some are definitely more prominent than others. Uh, which reminds me, I haven't got around to picking up my picks yet. So for me, I'd have to go for well, um, well again, um, Ride Scare and uh, Naomi, aka Sandra Taylor. She's um, def, def oh. She was just amazing all, all out. Um, I'd also, um, again, I would be a fan of Julia, um, Julie Benz and Field of Screams, uh, just for that, just like that episode as, as, as well. Uh, oh, I also give a mention to uh, okay, oh, two, two more. Uh, Get out of the Dodgers, um, Lisa Pruna. Yeah, she, she really helped make that episode too. And oh, how, how could I not like... Um, Angie, um, oh, who was definitely, I definitely would marry Angie before Meg. That, that's, that, I was in, in that episode. Old, yes, I'd pick Angie over Meg any day. <laughs> I mean, one of the other things uh, that's interesting. So, like Sandra Taylor, I think she was a penthouse pet. Lisa Boyle was a Playboy playmate, who will also be uh, becomes one of uh, Kelly Bundy's friends in the later seasons. Um. Because I, I know the guys would be interested. It's like, well, who posed nude, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, without looking, uh, I mean, without really looking, I'd say that those are probably the two def- who, two that we know definitely. And uh, uh, I'd be curious on the others. Yeah, I think that's where we fell down. We didn't look up every single actress who has posed nude. And I do apologize. Well, I mean, uh, our, our our listeners, if you're interested, I mean, you can just Google it and find out for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, uh, I think if there was one that probably didn't pose nude, it would probably definitely or most likely be um, uh, Angie or Rose Jackson. I doubt she right. would have done that. Yep. Yeah, I probably agree. Um, I was going to say, in the interest of equality, I was trying to think, are there many hot guys in this season? And I had to stop and think. Again, The I can only think of two. <laughs> um, there's the guy in Nuna or Nothing that cuts in front of Kelly. I used to think he was fine. And then there's Aaron, who's just, you know, cute as a button. And that's all I can sort of really think of. I had to stop and think. I mean, Kelly's got some odd... Maybe in the basketball episode? Maybe in the first episode? Or Ray yeah. Ray, for example, the second episode. Yeah, it doesn't do much for me, but yeah. Um, Gunther didn't do anything for you. <laughs> He's another one I thought so of. Far, so yeah, good. we don't really get a good look at him. He's just, ah, uh, I don't know. I have to think about that one. It, it doesn't matter. He's a Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite lines. <laughs> he took some pictures. All right, so. If there's nothing else to cover there, we'll go into our top five episodes. Or should we do top favorites first or least favorites first? Do we end on a high note or a low note? Let's start with the, with our worst episodes first. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Okay, let's do that. Let's, yeah, I agree. Let's do our least favorite episodes, our least three favorites. So who wants to start? I'll start with that one. My least favorite episodes. First, Al Goes Deep. My second one, Change for a Buck. You know, when you get to Buck episodes, they just really are not very good. 
I guess we forgot to leave out the Buck-centric episodes a little bit earlier, but oh well. <laughs> there's only two. <laughs> but there's only there's one more, and it's going to shock Alex. I didn't care for The Legend of Ironhead, Ironhead Haynes. That was one of those that tried to build up to this thing and didn't deliver in the end. And it made me wonder, why are they going to a country western singer? <laughs> Shouldn't they be going to maybe a, a rock star from Al's age, Al's age of some sort? It's like, really? Waylon Jennings is your hero, your icon that you waste all this time going up to the mountain and talking to? It it just didn't hit with me. So those are my three, for better or for worse. Or in this case, for worse. <laughs> okay. All right, so my worst three, again, I'm just, look, just looking over them, because, uh, again, there isn't, sometimes there's not too much variation between a good one and a bad one. After second, Al goes deep. Just looking at the episode summaries, it's not that memorable. I mean, I still like it, but there's just more memorable episodes out there for me. That's just that's just me. I mean, on a different note, I actually like to change for a buck. I like the buck episodes, but, again, it's not quite a, um, a gold, not gold tier episode. There are definitely better ones out there. Uh, let's see, other ones I don't like, other ones I don't like, oh, the Halloween one, I like that one, I like that one, I like that one, uh, that was good, that was good, it's it's really hard for me to pick a least favourite episodes in this se- this season for me, uh, it's really, it's, it's really kind of difficult to pick um, a least favourite, I can pick my favourite three easier, but not the least favourites, uh, just having a, uh, let's see, uh, then, Noon or later in the Darcy files don't scream out too much, but again, uh, I'm still undecided here, guys. I'm so I'm sorry. I'm still undecided about what my least favourites are. Hmm. No, that's Gosh. fair. I sort of struggled to come up with a a third least favourite. Um, I'll just go through my list. Um, my least favourite was probably again this could sort of fall in any order, but my least favourite was probably Change for a Buck. Um, that's probably got the lowest rating of the episodes I was on. That's, that's, it's, again, it's a buck heavy episode. I don't dislike it or anything. It's just what it is. Uh, number two would be Al Goes Deep. I'm sensing a theme here. And, yep. uh, number three, again, I, I struggled between The Legend of Iron Head Haynes and maybe something like Sofa So Good because I just don't like the idea of the couch burning down. Maybe. I don't know. And they're like, this sort of, um, you know, the kids and the parents are separated. or I, I don't know. But I'm struggling to find a, a third least favourite because other than the top five or six that I like, everything is sort of middle of the road and, and sort of grouped together. And I sort of like all of them, at least in some way. Yeah, I had even, as I mentioned, I had an even bigger problem like that. So I'm sure it'll be easier for me to pick a worst of, say, when they get, we get to season 10 or 11 or even 9. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, Sofa's So Good, that was one of those that almost got my least favorite. It was a toss-up between that one and The Legend of Iron Head Haze. But uh, I could say that Sofa's So Good was a dishonorable mention. You know, and I touch on this in the... Um, in the ep- in the podcast because that was one I review with Tyler mm. and to me it was just like you know there are other ways to make people laugh other than sex jokes and sexual innuendo and I think it's tragic that 
that's what a lot of sitcoms are just aiming for nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had a toss-up for number three, so uh, I have a clear uh, I have a clear dislike, but <laughs> but my toss-up for number three was between the Darcy Files and Sofa So Good. I just didn't. I think I'm sort of with Annabelle. I don't like the the fact that the couch burned down, but sort of the the whole uh, the the guy who was in the woods, the Murray guy uh, it, it, he, he did not um it it it's it's like the way i look at it he, they were they were trying to make him funny and like to me like good comedy is like when it doesn't look like the the comedian is trying to be funny right yeah. so it, yeah. it was like it was almost trying too hard so a lot of that stuff sort of you know flew over my head uh, the Darcy Files also thought was awkward. I mean, it had its shining moments, but it was also a little awkward. I felt um, it was very uneven. Yeah, that that's the um, again for more like, and that's more of a technical review, right? <laughs> uh, you know, looking at the episode that way. But my my clear number two is uh, the Buck episode uh, because, like, I feel like those. Uh, I think my my favorite Buck episode is probably the one when they want to get Buck neutered. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, doesn't that probably yeah, I mean, is doesn't yeah. really feature Buck the dog in the same way, right? I mean, we have that uh, the man in the dog costume, but uh, I feel like that was like sort of the like gold standard. And a lot of those Buck episodes, uh, which Cheech Marin, I, I don't like as much. I, to me, it's like the classic uh, Buck voice is Kevin Coran. So, yeah, um, but my clear, um, the clear one that I don't like is Al Goes Deep. And, you know, after we finished recording that and I had recorded the uh, rating in the uh, worksheet that we use, uh, Annabelle had reached out to me. She's like, why did you not like it? (laughs) And, you know, my and if you're you know, if you all heard that episode, really what I felt was is that the. The writing on that was so out of character for the characters, particularly Al's uh, relationship with Kelly, because I felt like, you know, he's like pimping her out. (laughs) He's like uh, doing things that I mean, generally like that whole uh, Chad character. I mean, he would have gotten the crap kicked out of him, almost like, you know, with Kelly in the movie station, uh, the movie show. Um, I just don't. I just felt that it was the way that they handled it was so out of character that it's like if that episode had never been written, you know, I, I wouldn't have missed it, you know? Mm. So like, cause I just felt like, you know, there's, we know that the show doesn't really follow Canon. It's very episodic. And Steven, you've said that many times it's, it is episodic writing, but to me, um, you know, like that's like a that's a big red flag. You should not have gone there with the writing on that one. I also think, uh, and I agree with you. That's why I did not like that one at all, and that's why it's my number one pick. Is that it's not consistent with the character, and, and you could talk about episodic writing, like you know Al's birthday being messed up, but when you betray his character, what that character is truly like, now you're really crossing the line. Yeah. Because that's not the same character we've been used to for the last seven years. Yeah. There's a trope. They call it character assassination. Yeah. Okay. So on a lighter note, 
Yes. <laughs> How about our top episodes? Are we doing a, a top three or a top five? Um, three. Okay, that makes it harder. Yeah. <laughs> it does. Might have a it couple does. of honourable mentions. Mm-hmm. Same here. All right, well, Matt, you kick us off. I agree. All right, well, okay. My first one that comes to my mind would be No Man. Well, hey, we gave us the No Man group. The no Man continued right to the end of the series, which says a lot. Helped um, one of my favourites for breathing life into the show, the way they own Jerry Springer, the way they basically blast his show, and um, Al actually does one of more Al's successful rampages, even if it ends up being arrested by the police. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, that was, it was actually the first episode that inspired me to buy anything related to the show merchandise-wise. It was before I bought a trivia book. It, it was the first ever sh- purchase related to the show, actually. So that's my first favourite episode. Uh, my second favourite episode, well, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a big fan of Get Out of Dodge. Just the whole rake, racking up a million miles in the car. Even if it's unrealistic how hours is driving up and down and up and down the street for hours without refueling or resting. So he's obviously got the bottomless fuel tank in his Dodge. Just um, his um, escapade to win that Viper for, on, on all costs. And uh, well, the other one, the worst Noel... Um, I think my favourite Christmas episode is It's a Bundyful Life, but The Worst Noel was definitely a very close second. What makes it for me is the whole jukebox escapade and Kelly and Bud trying to get it up and Bud getting hurt to... Oh, um, ah! <laughs> and Alan Peggy just arguing over watching on the TV. Uh, I've got at least one honourable mention. I'll give an honourable mention to... Um, how green was the apple? Literally, the feud between the families makes that just over um, the properly line being so bad. And is there any more honourable mentions? Again, there's a lot of like in this season, but uh, those would be the favourites at the top of my head and uh, that honourable mention there. So that, that's my favourites. Very good. Okay. My favourites. Number three, I guess you could say, is Scared Single. I love that one. Even though I know it's coming at the end, I think that is hilarious. One of the few times this season when they build up to this great potential uh, laugh and it followed through. And, you know, you see Meg appear in the door. Mr. Bunny, I want you to meet Meg. And then she's dressed like Peggy. She goes over and sits next to her. They're eating bonbons together, <laughs> bouncing their knee. I, I am just laughing out loud every single time I watch that one. So that's my number three. Number two is Kelly Knows Something. I tell you, that's just the epitome of uh, Kelly being dumb. And like I said, one of the best jokes ever, and I agree with Annabelle, when the image of Seven goes out of her head, she has forgotten it. And I think that's their way of saying, we're forgetting this, we're putting it behind us. And I was kind of glad for that too. And then the killer, of course, again, great potential for a buildup to a joke, and this one delivers. She can't remember who scored four touchdowns in one game to win the city championship. And that's the one thing she should know. And my number one is Dances with Wheezy. I love that one. I never get tired of it. I love the cameos. 
uh, we reviewed that one, Tyler and I, and I'm notorious for, um, you know, finding Oklahoma trivia, and I could find a lot there. And I loved, the, I grew up watching the Jeffersons. I liked it more than um, than um, All in the Family. And the B plot and the A plot work together perfectly. If I were to give two uh, runners up, I agree with Matt. The Worst Noel, I love that one. I thought that was a great Christmas episode. I put that number three. My favorite is You Better Watch Out. Then It's a Bundleful Life. And then I would put this one. I really don't care for the other Bundy Christmas episodes. And I would also put in How Green Was My Apple because it included everybody. And you had uh, several guest spots in there that I really got a kick out of. So those are my favorites. Excellent. Excellent, Luigi. Okay, so it's all of my favorites. Number three, No Ma'am. I thought it was a great foundational episode. Uh, I I was a big fan of the Jerry Springer show when I was in college. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, we we had a this uh, student lounge uh, which had a TV in it, and I remember Springer was on I think at nine and eleven. <laughs> so I uh, there was always a crowd watching Springer. Springer was always on, and you know the fact that. Uh, you know, how he hammed it up in that episode, you know, as the masculine feminist. Like, it, it tickles my funny bone. So uh, that's my number three. Uh, I mean, surprise. my next two won't be a surprise because I've wanted to review them. Uh, Scared Single, uh, I just thought was phenomenal. I th- <laughs> I love the... Yes. Uh, to me, like, you know, when I did the review on that uh with um i mean steven you were on that with chris it's like that whole uh he takes him to the mall lounge the valley of the shadow of death yeah i mean all the imagery in the writing i mean that is like just comic gold you know it's like and over there are the lowest of the lows those regulating to holding their wives purses i mean i mean like (laughs) that just i just laugh hysterically every single time i hear that i mean the writing was great the delivery was great the look on uh, aaron's face you know, <laughs> uh, I just think that that is uh, really, uh, again, my my favorite, uh, one of my favorites. But my absolute favorite for season eight, Nooner or Nothing. That, uh, you know, the, like I said, Dexter was my one hit wonder. Uh, I said that on the episode, I want to start the I Love Dexter uh, Facebook uh, page in his in Chime McBride's honor. Because I feel like that was, I mean, and I'll, I'll say this again. I said that on the podcast episode. I feel like Chai McBride's delivery of Dexter was better than Griff's. Mm. Uh, you know, Harold Sylvester is Griff. I mean, I just think the the comedy, the the face, I mean, like, you know, the facial expressions, how it was delivered. I mean, that makes it funny. I mean, I think the episode itself with Burn Rian Recognition is not as funny, but I feel like Chai McBride's. Uh, delivery of Dexter in that episode, you know, just brings it over the top for me. Uh, even if I may not necessarily like the episode, and I do like the episode, but uh, I just thought that that was great. I mean, because even if you look at the season 11 episode, uh, you know, if we just look ahead real uh, quickly, uh, when Al goes on trial in Crimes Against Obesity, uh, they pretty much reference that episode. 
Nooner mm-hmm. or Nothing is, is is featured very prominently in in that episode. So I, that's uh, one of my reasons. That's my reason for making it my number one. Very good. I just realized that we didn't really discuss guest stars or special guest stars. I mean, we can either talk about that afterwards or not. It doesn't bother me. But, um, yeah, I'll just, it's time for my top three or so episodes. Um, number three, Get Out of Dodge. Just a solid episode all round. Number two... I think, is Honey, I Blew Up Myself. Um, when Matt and I reviewed that, that even though there's only two of us reviewing it, it was a Hall of Famer. And with Alex's rating as well, that is a, a true Hall of Famer. Um, and my... Actually, and I'll say, I've got a couple of honourable mentions. One is Banking on Marcy. Just Marcy's standout episode, I think. Um, also, it was very nearly a five for me, but just fell a bit short. Uh, just a little off the top is just a fun episode with some killer moments. And Nuna or Nothing is another honourable mention. I do like that episode very much as well. And that's an episode I was not on. So um, if you're surprised by that, then whatever. Um, but my number one episode, and it's probably not a surprise, but it's The Worst Noel. And like Stephen said, I think it's my favourite Christmas episode of the second half of the series. Um, <clears throat> I like all the Christmas episodes. I really do. But my favourites are probably the first one and then this one. But the, to me, they're all classic. But The Worst Noel, it's 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 just a, everything works in that episode for me. It's You've got this farce going on out the back and then you've got this straight play with Alan Pegg in front. And Alan Pegg are just... Like it's a great example of their chemistry when they speak at the same time, for example. And it's just an episode filled with non-stop jokes. And it's directed by Amanda Burst, and she gets a drunken moment, which is always funny to me anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my favorite episode of season eight. Yeah. And, you know, I, Annabelle, I would be curious uh, maybe if we could get in touch with, An- uh, excuse me, not with Annabelle, with Jamie. Because you remember how Jamie said that she hated uh, holiday episodes. Yeah. I, I would love to know her opinion on uh, on that on the worst Noel. Yeah, I'll be curious too, and things like the Halloween episode too, maybe because she's being a horror fan. All, all these episodes in our top, some of them have overlapped, but they're they're all good episodes. I sort of again, except for you know the top couple, I struggle to think. Oh, what's going to be number three? What's going to be number four? Um, that's why I say the season was mostly very consistent, but I totally get what Stephen's saying about payoffs in episodes, and he's totally right. Um, it, but for me, I just sort of go along for the ride, and because I've seen the episodes so many times, I have to stop and think, "Oh yeah, right," because um, it, it's just it's, a lot of it's a big blur for me. <laughs> so um, I mentioned. In the review, in the podcast review for Honey, I Blew Up Myself, I mentioned a friend of mine by the name of Nitsen. He's written reviews, and that episode was one of them. And I read part of his review on the episode. And I was hoping to get him on the podcast, but he's just far too busy and has a young child as well now. And he's in lockdown because he's in the Middle East. And 
he uh, wrote a review for Honey, I Blew Up Myself. I read part of that review on the podcast, and he said that's a good a, a new one to sh- a good one to show newbies, especially because his his father came in and started watching the episode and started laughing. And the same thing happened with someone in my family too, probably my father, because he sort of used to watch it when I had it on. And he's not someone who laughs out loud a lot, but he did at that. And he also did at the worst no well and also in Get Out of Dodge, especially when they made jokes about country music. They they are big LOL moments. And I think Chris said that um, Get Out of Dodge was a good one to show new people as well. It's sort of one that people tend to remember. So I just wanted to mention that. So one little segment I guess we're adding to this real quick is we've talked about our favorite episodes. So um, most of us uh, have been also producing these episodes. <laughs> so a little departure from uh, Alex, who produced all of uh, all of them. Uh, so we wanted to come up with our list of our favorite podcast episodes. So not necessarily the episode itself, but, you know, listening to the podcast. Uh, and I'll get started on this one. So of the of my favorite podcast episodes, I guess this is from like a technical, uh, I mean, either it's from a, a technical perspective in terms of like, you know, how it was produced, maybe the background music or uh, the clips or the discussion. So my number three is Take My Wife, Please. I thought that that was uh, done very well. I mean, a lot of village people music in there, but I thought that um, it just sort of worked. Uh, I, I like the, the trivia, Annabelle, you put in there about the B-side of the record because nobody ever thought about that. <laughs> uh, I was like, wow. It's like, yeah, that's right. I mean, a record doesn't have one side to it. There is another side. So why did Marcy flip it? So uh, yes. I, I thought that was really, um, again, uh, an episode that I liked from a technical perspective and discussion around it. Uh, my number two is Dances with Wheezy. I... Uh, Thank you. I, I love the uh, the Jefferson stuff. I liked uh, Stephen how you uh, you went back to previous episodes to get uh, you know Kelly and uh, Al uh, singing the Jeffersons theme, and then we put that in. And I really love the ending. How like we put the Jeffersons ending music in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just before we cut to love and marriage, um, I, I got a chuckle out of that. Um, I think like, uh, so I had a lot of fun publishing that and seeing like uh, what people's reactions were. But that was, I think, uh, I said my second favorite. And my first is, uh, this will come as no surprise, The Worst Noel. Uh, mm-hmm. I just think that that was a, uh, I mean, I think that was a, a, a discussion across what I said was 40 years of uh, television history. So we covered pretty much the 1950s through the early 90s in terms of uh you know, talking about everything that was referenced, because that was one of those episodes where effectively they referenced everything. I mean, it was really heavy on pop culture, really have heavy on television history as they're flipping through the the, the channels. Uh, I was a little apprehensive because I I know I think I rambled on and on about maybe it's a wonderful life and uh, a couple of other things, but uh, it just seems to have worked. And I think uh, uh, Stephen Owens. Uh, appearance also like added to it as well and i learned a lot about australian beer so i appreciated that <laughs> anytime anytime luigi well from a technical point of view uh i i didn't edit any of season eight i only started editing season nine episodes so i'll, I'll have more to say on that wrap-up show but 
Also, the second to the worst snow L, simply from the amazing time we had doing it. And we recorded that one back in August, if I recall correctly. Let me just check the schedule. Uh, yes, that was recorded in... Uh, yeah, um, early August, so um, it was, at the time I was actually designing my own Christmas cards too for a bit of extra Christmas cheer, Anna can comment on um, um, her reaction to that. Uh, yeah, and just um, just getting, re- I just thought, you know, I want to make this Christmas a good one, uh, doing this podcast, make, um, so there's that one, and whatever ones. Uh, so re- re- really, I'm um, just, um, I've, I've generally enjoyed them listening to all the podcasts. I will second the um, Dancing with Wheezy, especially with the Jeffersons closing theme in that. I mean, I haven't seen too much of the Jeffersons, but obviously I love all the family and the Jeffersons characters, appearances and that. And so actually that was a winner for me at that point alone. And... Yeah, production-wise, other than that... Yeah, no, no other immediate standouts. Obviously, I, I mean, I actually ha- haven't um heard um the, the drafts of the, the ones that haven't air- aired yet, not all of them yet. But uh, well, produ- production-wise, are those are my main two: um, First Noel and Dances with Wheezy. I would have to uh, agree, Dances with Wheezy. That was so much fun for me to edit and create, and I'm thinking, and that was mine. I, I, I told Tyler, I want to lead on this one. And I was thrilled to do it. And, of course, it made my favorite episode. It's my favorite episode of Season 8. And I just want to make it all get out. Also because, you know, I knew all the sports stuff about uh, Johnny Bench and Ernie Banks and uh, even Joe Namath and discovering who was really the on the first light beer commercial. And that was just really, really fun to work at. Uh, I also really like, I also enjoyed the worst Noel as a production wise as well. I just thought it was great. It was, you know, it's great when you can tell when people are having fun with something. And I guess third, I really can't think of a third one production wise that, uh, really stood out to me. So I'll just go with those two for now. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll echo the sentiment for Dances with Wheezy. Um, that's a, that was a fun podcast to listen to. And I like all the finishing touches that Luigi put on it. I mean, Luigi and I say, you know, oh, chef's kiss. We want to put the chef's kiss on this one. And um, I knew he was going all out when he asked me to record Thank you for listening to the Jeffersons. What is it? The Jeffersons was recorded live on tape before a studio audience. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, the Meredith Wooden podcast recorded on tape. I loved that bit. (laughs) Live on tape. That was amazing. That made the episode. (laughs) (laughs) And play the Jeffersons theme. It's like, oops, no, wrong show. So that that was a lot of fun. The whole episode was fun to listen to. Um, Another one I liked, um, just from a personal point of view, was Take My Wife, Please. Um, that was the second episode I ever edited. And yes, there were only two of us on it, but it was a very easy one to do. And um, I could just ask Matt questions and we got more about Matt's background on uh, how he got into Married to Children, for example. And yeah, adding all the village people stuff and I had to go and find the 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 B-side to yeah. YMCA is called The Women. <laughs> yes, right. Yes. Because I think... It was- was it me or you, Anna, who was like, why shouldn't she reflect the record? I, th- I think it was, it was you me. who said that. I, you know, I was thinking it the whole time, but yeah, you said it. And I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but by then we'd heard YMCA so many times, it's just like, you know, brain fade. So 
um, even though you hear YMCA a lot in that episode, in the episode itself and in the podcast episode a little bit, um, it, it didn't make it less fun or anything like that. And and the other podcast I'll mention is, again, no surprise, The Worst Noel, because um, we had a, a good mix of uh, Australian and American um, voices in that. Well, one American guest who came over to the Australian nudie bar. And again, again, it just had that chef's kiss on it. We kept, because Luigi and I love TV history so much, we just, um, he kept adding more things, more themes. And, you know, yes, you have a lot of time in your hands, but you sort of added things and it didn't, you know, overshoot it or anything like that. So that was, that was going to be uh, a long one. And it's a Christmas episode, so you can sort of go all out on that one. And yeah, just um, really fun to do and, and fun to listen back. And uh, Get Out of Dodge was good too. I mean, that was nice to have Chris in. Again, you have that um, uh, that, that extra perspective, that, that different American view. And um, it wasn't one of my favorites to edit because it took so long. But I did it sort of before I did some of the others because <clears throat> we recorded it relatively earlier on. So they would be my probably my favorites. They're all just personal favorites really, but there hasn't been – a bad podcast to listen to this season. I mean, one thing that I've learned, so I've been helping some friends out with their own podcast and, you know, I have, I do have a musical background, you know, a little known fact about me. And what I'll say is like, what I've learned doing this is tempo is very important. You know, so like I'm, I'm a drummer uh, through education. I started playing when I was very young and um, I was also a conductor so, you know, tempo is very, very important. So it's like, in other words, you can have a discussion and you have to keep the pace. You need to keep the pace up. So it's like if, if someone goes on too long or is like talking for a while, even though it might be interesting, it's like sometimes you need to figure out like a way of breaking it up. And maybe it's like some background music or like, you know, um, in the episode Assault and Batteries, it's like, you know, uh, you guys are talking Hondo. Right. And I actually watched Hondo recently because it was like I, after I listened to your podcast, I was like, wow, you know, like, let me watch Hondo. And it was a terrible film, in my opinion. <laughs> but it's like, you know, let me get the theme music to Hondo and, you know, like add that as a chef's kiss, you know, because like I think that adds more to the discussion. You know, like it, 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 it enhances that conversation. So those are some of the technical things that I really uh, enjoyed. Uh, you know, doing like as part of that. But I mean, I think all of you have done, you know, I think all of us, excuse me, all of us have done a great job of, you know, getting those little touches and putting them in. And I really have to thank Alex because, you know, that was the kind of stuff that Alex would do. I remember in the season uh, six episode, uh, Peggy, uh, no, excuse me, season seven, Peggy and the Pirates, he had uh, a, um, if you remember in that podcast episode, he had the, um, music uh, the background music it was like almost at sea yeah like you know so, so for the entire podcast yeah. as they were talking you're hearing all of like these sea sounds playing as if they're on a ship so i thought that was you know great touch so those are the types of things i think that uh you know make these podcasts so hopefully they're entertaining to our uh, fan base out there <laughs> you know real quick i want to add how podcasting has helped me in another way is that a lot of people know I teach at uh, a school here in the United States, and I teach freshman English. And 
I uh, made a recording of uh, a book I teach them called Fahrenheit 451. Great book. And I was realizing I could do something, you know, learning how to do the podcast. What I would do is I would add like sound effects in the background to help make it a little bit more visceral for the uh, audio part. You know, and I recorded myself reading it because, you know, the person who did it for the British version, I had talked like this. And I thought, that doesn't help. It was for all the characters. And I had a little drama so I could change voices. But I don't know, but adding those backgrounds in there, like a siren when Guy Montag is running away, and some footsteps as well, helicopter sounds when the helicopter's chasing him. I think that enhanced it overall and uh, helped the kids understand what was going on. So I got to say that has been a big eye opener for me in that aspect. Helped me in the classroom. Uh, I guess one more thing, Annabelle, we can talk about is our uh, guests over the season, over the course of the season. Yes, our podcast guests. So let's see. So we started with Chris uh, Nunes. Yeah, I think it's Nunes. Yeah. Yeah, Chris Nunes. Fellow Australian from Melbourne. Yeah, he, and he's from, <laughs> by the way, of um, Sri Lanka. <laughs> so, yeah, we're talking about, you know, getting new voices, new accents on the show. And I, I like it when we mix it up. And it's it, I think it was a good idea to have different teams do um, episodes. So you do get that variety and people can team up with whoever they like, etc. And, yeah, Chris was someone... Um, who was on the podcast group, he recently came back, so welcome back, Chris. And I asked him if there was an episode he'd like to do this season, and he was a big fan of Banking on Marcy. So I said, no problem, come do it. And um, his audio didn't turn out too great, but I was able to fix it. So, And that was the first episode I edited, so that was a big learning curve there in and of itself. Anyway, and our other Australian guest has been Steve Owen, and he's guested on two episodes this season and he's a he's a he's a great australian voice he's he's a little bit older but um comes with you know a wealth of knowledge especially tv knowledge as well that we all like and we will hear him again in season nine yeah i I think he was great and i enjoyed the conversation with him when i was on the episode Hmm. uh luigi you had a guest on i think it was you and uh chris a young oh a woman what was her name right right so we we had two um in season eight so we had Alyssa. so that was so Alyssa yeah. was with us on valentine's day massacre so you know in keeping with uh, alex's tradition of having a female voice uh you know uh annabelle has noted that the married with children fan base is very male so it's very much a sausage fest i've heard that <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I thought it was good to have some female voices, especially on a Valentine's Day episode. Like I thought that, you know, we really couldn't do a Valentine's Day episode. And just so the fans know, it's like it's very difficult for us to get on a podcast, all four of us or all six of us really on one, just with the time differences. So, you know, we record at uh, seven, like, for example, 7 a.m. Eastern time in the U.S. is currently eight. PM in Perth, or I think it's ten thirty PM in uh, Adelaide. Adelaide. So uh, even Stephen, who's uh, in in Oklahoma, so that's he's starting at six AM. So I mean, this is really like a multinational event. So it's very difficult, and one of the reasons why we're in three groups 
so that you know we can work with teams. So like myself and Chris Gunter, you know, he's an hour behind, and we can sort of schedule things together much more easily. Well, he's in my time right. zone. I mean, it's much easier mm-hmm. to do that with one or two time zone differences than uh, what it is between here and Australia. But you know, I mean, when we recorded the worst Noel, I was up at five a.m. You know, I had to drive an hour to get back home. And, you know, I recorded, we started recording at 6 a.m. my time. And it was, you know, I think 6 p.m. your time because of the difference in daylight savings. So, you know, uh, it is an undertaking to do this. But um, Alyssa is on the West Coast in California. So even that is difficult (laughs) because she, you know, for us to record, uh, she needs to record in the e- in what's her evenings, like at 6 p.m. her time or 6.30 p.m. So we're recording at, like I'm recording at 9.30 p.m. And for Chris, it's 8.30. Uh, but it was great to have a female perspective on that. I, th- I think it was a lot of fun. Uh, she wasn't as big a fan of the episode. And that's one of the things, you know, we, we've said to some of our guests. It's like, you know, don't go into it. Like, you know, it's great for us to always pick our favorite episodes. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to pick this episode. I love it. I'm going to give it to five, like when you go into it. But it's also good to like pick some of the stuff, like at least for me during this, uh, you know, as we've been doing this, it's like there's some episodes that ended up I just got like I got the short end of the of the draw. And it's like, all right, you're going to do I'm doing this episode. I'm like, OK, is it like, for example, Al Goes Deep. I really not a fan of it, but it's like I did a review. Uh, I think I sort of reviewed it. I tried not to give my opinion until the very end. But, you know, you sort of get a feel for you know, again, the technical aspect of that review, but having Alyssa on for Valentine's Day Massacre, you know, let us have a woman's perspective. And uh, I will say we had Carolyn on for two episodes in season eight, Nooner or Nothing and Ride Scare. And I think she was fabulous. Uh, you know, I was really honored to have her on. Uh, she's been a Patreon member for uh, quite some time, but, you know, we, uh, she's been, uh, in the fandom since the early nineties, I know Annabelle and she go way back and, uh, she had a great story about how she got onto the, got into the show and sort of how she, um, met some of the greats who are out there. Cause I mean, I think besides Annabelle, uh, in terms of content that you find out on the internet, there's, uh, Andreas who runs Bundiology, uh, there's a few others, uh, like, again, international fans that uh, Carolyn knows and is known for many years as a result of the show and the fandom. So I thought that that was great. Yeah. And I'll get to you get to hear me with Carolyn in season nine. It was great to record with her. Right. I said besides Alex, and obviously it was great to hear Alex on uh, The Legend of Ironhead Haynes as well. I mean, we hear him every week, but uh, it's nice to also get his technical analysis of the episode. Hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and hopefully, you know, we'll uh, maybe get some of the old co-hosts on uh, in uh, seasons 9, 10, 11. So we'll, we'll try to see if that'll work with scheduling. Hopefully. That would be great. Agreed. So, Annabelle, uh, while we wrap up, do you want to give us a preview of season 9? Oh, yes. Alex usually reads the episodes, doesn't he? Just before we do that, I just want to say a thank you to Alex as well. We touched on it, but, you know, Alex, when I, the very beginning of this season, I was a guest on the very first episode, and it was me, Alex, and Jamie. And when we recorded that episode way back in May of 2020, I had no idea what was going to happen, that that people were going to leave or um, the podcast was going to go on hiatus, nothing. There was no clue. 
So it was a bit of a shock after that. I thought, oh my God, I'm a jinx. But then Luigi stepped in and said, look, why don't we keep it going? We can create these teams, etc., etc." And everyone, like all the Patreon members, myself as a researcher, we all got involved and we created these teams and everyone, um, everyone contributed. So thank you to Alex for giving, for creating this podcast and for giving us his blessing. And a big thank you to Luigi, who I sort of consider the ringmaster in all this and master researcher as well. And he sort of coordinates everything and puts the finishing touches on all the episodes before they're ready to upload. And I'd thank you to all the other co-hosts, Step Hand, Tiki Tugboat, Billy Ray Chris, and of course, last but not least, my Aussie pal, Matt. And just oh, another little, you. yeah, very welcome. And thanks for being great to talk to. And just a, a quick shout out to um, the people who comment on all the posts. I do try to read all the comments. A couple of people have messaged me privately, privately after episodes, just with random comments and things. I always appreciate that. And a special shout out to Vincent T, who's also in Australia. He's a YouTube commenter. He's not part of the Facebook podcast group, but he is a frequent, he's a, a dedicated listener on YouTube. And so it's very interesting just to go from that first episode of the season to where we are now. We've, we've done our entire season. And, you know, mark my words, the podcast shall rise again. Yes. So we go into season nine next week. Or next time we will be diving headfirst into season nine, which I'm actually looking forward to. So in season nine, we've got episodes like Shoeway to Heaven, Driving Mr. Boondy, Kelly Breaks Out, Naughty But Nice, Business Sucks, Part One, Business Still Sucks, Part Two, Dial B for Virgin, Sleepless in Chicago, No Pot to Peas in, Dud Bowl. A Man for No Seasons, The Naked and the Dead, but mostly The Naked, I Want My Psycho Dad, Parts 1 and 2, Kelly Takes a Shot, Something Larry This Way Comes, Get the Dodge Out of Hell, which is the 200th episode, 25 Years and What Have You Got, Ship Happens, Part 1 and 2, and Bingo Was Her Game-O, The Undergraduate, User-Friendly, Shoeless Owl, Pump Fiction, and Radio Free Trumaine. Now, I read those out in production code order because I was reading from the list on Bundyology. So those episodes, it's not indicative of the order that they may appear next season. So a lot of big changes to look forward to in season nine. There's cosmetic changes, there's character changes, and we get introduced to not one, not two, but five new recurring characters. So I'm excited for season nine, and I hope you guys are too. I definitely am. I'm definitely looking forward to it. I'm, I'm looking forward to the journey, because, you know, Alex had always used this term, you know, just we're, con we're continuing this journey, and we are committed to finishing this podcast. And finish it we will. <laughs> And I want to thank Luigi, too. Uh, you, you guys are too kind, though. I mean, it's just about having a plan. But remember, like I, as I said from the beginning, I don't think if any of us had wanted to continue this on our own, we couldn't do this. 
Mm. But I think, you know, the fact that we all teamed up, I mean, there is uh, strength in the team. It's having, like, a lot of people, and I think, you know, we've all been dedicated. It's been great having Chris Gunter with me. Uh, you know, again, Matt, uh, you and Annabelle are a really great team. Stephen, you and Tyler are a great team. You know, we reach out to people in our Patreon. We reach out to uh, people in the fan base, people that we know uh, who like the show, and, you know, hopefully... The fan base enjoys uh, this, you know, what we've been able to put together. Uh, I will say I miss Alex. Uh, you know, I think like Alex had a charm about him in terms of the way he handled the podcast, and we all have our own different styles. But um, I think that uh, you know, if uh, he doesn't want, if he didn't want to step in and continue this, I mean, we're happy to finish it for him and complete the vision. And he has put together his own team. He will be uh, reviewing a few episodes from here and there cool. with his team. So we, we look forward to that. Definitely. Right. That's it for Season 8, I believe. And thank you all for listening to the podcast and for your continued... What's the word? Not viewership. Um. <laughs> Listenership. Listenership. Patronage. Yeah. Your dedication, your patronage. Thank you for continuing to listen to us. Um, We hope we entertain you ever so slightly. And stay tuned next time when we kick off Season 9 with Shoeway to Heaven. Alan Jefferson decided to cash in on 1970s nostalgia by selling shoes from that period. Or, if I read the info from Bundyology, in the Season 9 opener, nostalgia brings fortune to Alan Jefferson after they stumble upon a crate of fashionable shoes from the 70s. Meanwhile, exotic insect bites force Kelly to always tell the truth. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. And just remember, Season 9 is going to be great. If you like Season 8, you're going to like Season 9 even better.